Southwest Topeka has a good neighbor. State Farm Agent Jim Garrison, now at 29th and Urish. If your current insurance situation has you going around in circles, get off the roundabout and stop in and meet Jim and his wonderfully efficient staff. Let Jim Garrison give you a quote and make the Garrison comparison. He's confident that with State Farm's competitive rates, the right coverage, and his unmatched service, you'll want to make him your new insurance agent. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, and Jim Garrison is there for you. Northeast of the roundabout at 29th and Urish. When someone has a passion for what they do, it comes through in the product they provide their customers. Just ask LaRocco's Pizza's new owner, Jason Johnson, about their crust. They make it every day and let it rise for a minimum of 24 hours before they use it for their pizza. And his staff doesn't want to do anything they won't be the best at. And you can taste it in their pizza. LaRocco's Pizza, just a half block north of the I-470 Engage Boulevard exit. Come taste the difference. It's time for Real Estate 101 with the Carrie Brown team from Preferred Advisors. Good Saturday morning to you. This is Carrie Brown, Associate Broker with EXP Realty and the Preferred Advisors team. And you're listening to Real Estate 101. I have got some exciting open houses for you guys this weekend. Today we have from 2 to 3, 227 Northeast 86th Street. It is absolutely adorable, has a huge yard, looks out over the field, a lot of intricate woodwork, walkout basement. It is definitely one that you cannot miss. And then we have 5729 Southwest 37th Terrace from 12 to 1.30 on Sunday. Honestly, I cannot believe this house is still available. It's priced at $629,900. But today, it would cost over a million dollars to rebuild it. It even has an elevator. And I always joke that I don't take pictures of closets unless they're big enough to dance in. I could take a picture of the closet. Uh, there are two masters. Uh, the sunroom. The master on the main floor has the sunroom. Um, the master on the second floor has a massive bathroom, office suite. It is it's perfect. Uh, walkout deck. You you just you cannot miss this house. Um, and that one again is fifty seven twenty nine Southwest thirty seventh Terrace from twelve to one thirty on Sunday. And then two hundred one West Fourth in Maple Hill is also from twelve to one thirty, and this is the perfect starter home. Um, they've repainted the inside; it has custom kitchen cabinets. It is absolutely adorable, fenced yard. You definitely don't want to miss it. Today, my guest is Rick Glade. Rick is a serial entrepreneur. Um, he has been in real estate since in the eighties. Um, I met him in Puerto Vallarta. Him and his wife. Uh, we were at an EXP conference. And uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear why he got into EXP, but um, he's definitely, he has so much wisdom when it comes to investments. So cannot wait for you to hear more about his story. So good morning, Rick. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. I'm at my uh, my spring summer house. Um, so I'm over in Arizona today and we're, we're here at the, I'm along the Colorado River. So it's kind of nice. It's uh, supposed to be 80 degrees today, so it's going to be nice and uh Nice and sunny, and I'm looking at the water just kind of flowing by, so it's kind of nice. I love that you have a spring and summer house. So what's your your other season's houses? <laughs> well, I guess they're the same, but it, this is just more of our kind of like our vacation house. So, um, you know, I live full-time in, in Las Vegas, which is a warm desert climate, and uh, uh, the other house in Arizona is the same pretty much as far as climate. It's warm summer, but uh, originally from California and uh, lived on the beach there and uh down in san clemente and uh was there from born and raised actually in southern california so 
used to the Southern California lifestyle and weather, but it just uh, it's too hectic over there. So I just decided to make a, a transition at a house as well, um, part time in, in uh, Vegas and California. I was going back and forth between you know these three different destinations, and my wife just kind of got sick of it and said, you know, it's, it's too much. Too much uh, living like gypsies, so <laughs> let's settle. Let's settle down a little bit. So we settled down to these two, but um, well, yeah. So tell me, you have been in real estate since the '80s. What what inspired you to start buying houses? Um, you know what? I knew it was the path to financial freedom, and and that's really was the inspiration. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had some mentors in, in my past and, and, and since then I've become a mentor myself just because, um, I love paying it forward, but it was really just the, the opportunity, um, to be able to, uh, you know, do what you want, when you want, with who you want and kind of obtain that financial freedom. And, you know, it takes, it takes assets to do that because most people, um, you know, they, they're, they have a means to create, uh, an end, right? So they have a job or they have some source of, of, of currency that, that they, you know, that they produce. And so I just realized very early on that I started a business. I used that business to accelerate, um, most of the capital from that business into real estate investments, which then replaced that business income and then set me on the path to financial freedom. And so you technically have not like gone and clocked in on a job in how many years? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so long. I can't remember. And what's ironic about that. It's funny because, you know, I get one of those, uh, social security statements and they, they mail it to me. I, I can't remember. Maybe it's once a year ever so often. And there's like, I think I get $9, uh, when I turn 65. <laughs> in my from my social security because I've never paid into it because again never having really clocked into a nine to five you know W two earners job um, yeah it's just uh, it's kind of it's kind of pathetic and so um, you know yeah it's kind of funny but it's been seventy gosh it's been twenty plus you know years well I am glad that you don't have to rely on that income then. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah and it you know it's it's a sad thing because. Um, you know, a lot of people do have to rely on that. And, and that, that was, again, you know, to get back to the inspiration, um, one of the things that inspired me was that uh, there was a time when my grandfather passed away and left my grandmother um, with, uh, with a free and clear house. Um, however, the taxes, and this again is in California, um, the taxes for that house, there came a time in the period where she couldn't even afford the taxes. And again, you know, back in those days, when I'm talking about grandparents, you know, this is uh, when when it was traditional for the, you know, the, the wife to stay home and the and the husband was out as, as the bread earner, um, and and you know, by necessity almost that that has changed, right? I mean, most most households are you know dual income producing you know families, but uh, anyway, that was another little bit of the inspiration when I saw that happen at a young age. I thought, how could that how could that even be possible? How could somebody have a free and clear house that they've lived in? for 33 plus years and the taxes be what takes it away. And it was because she didn't have enough income from her social security to support just her basic needs uh, on top of, you know, mandatory expenses. Yeah. And you see that really often the same thing happened to my grandmother. Um, 
basically my grandfather had always handled the income and so she didn't even know how to write a check and when he passed mm-hmm. she had no idea what to do and that was one of the first yeah. things she ever said to me is you make sure you have your own money your own savings account your own you know i call it a debt score but your credit score and you have some idea what to do if you rely solely on one person and that goes really honestly both ways and something happens to them you're completely lost yeah 100 percent. and it's even carry that one one step further uh is the is the fact of you know proper estate plan that's something else that i'm real big on it's legacy and um you know, you'll have a matriarch or a patriarch uh, of, of a family that, you know, will, will pass on. And then, you know, like you said, the surviving spouse uh, has no clue um, or there is no estate plan and it's subject to, you know, probate and, and it turns into a mess with the heirs and the siblings and, and so on and so forth. So it's really important not only just to, you know, have a little bit of financial aptitude um, as an individual, but to really know what the succession plan is going to be and especially if you, you plan on having any type of assets, um, right? I mean, if you're just a, um, I mean, everybody should have it, but I mean, if you just have a basic, you know, single house that you live in, it's a family house, you're going to pass that on and what have you. You could be, it could be fairly simple, but um, in most cases, if you're going to have any type of wealth and you can accumulate that throughout your life, you want to make sure that you have some type of succession plan, um, whatever that, whatever that may be. Um, you know, the succession plan could be to, you know, to charity. It doesn't have to be the individuals, um, but just whatever your end game is, you want to make sure that you're thinking about that uh, even before the end comes, I say. So you've written several books. You want to talk about a couple of those? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, for me, I started out the very first book I wrote was The Seven Secrets of Highly Positive People, and the subtitle was The Winning Formula to Gaining More of Anything You Want Out of Life. And I really think that it starts with a mindset. Um, and I mean, in anything, it's all about um, perception and perspective and your perception creates your perspective. So, you know, um, so I wrote that book and it talks a little bit about, uh, how I got to the journey. That book is a very simple book, meaning it's not, there's not a bunch of revelations in there. There's a lot of stuff that's been practiced for many years, um, as far as people having a you know, positive attitude. Um, but, uh, the next book I wrote is a book called The Advanced Agent, and it's how to increase profits, work less, and scale your business faster. And that's uh, really a book dedicated strictly for real estate agents. Um, and then I'm currently writing a book called The Real Wealth Whisperer, and it's the secret to improving your relationship with money, crushing debt, reducing taxes, automating wealth, and leaving a legacy. So it's got a super long subtitle, um, but it's very intentional. And that book is... Hopefully I'll have it done in the next three to four months. And my, my goal is to have it done by the end of the year for sure. Uh, it's been a, it's been a writing process, but really that piece of that book is going to be, um, the Bible to my children. And uh, of course, if I'm going to write a Bible to my children, then it's going to be something that's uh, beneficial for the masses as well. Cause it's written, uh, very intentional. So we were at dinner, um, in Puerto Vallarta and we were talking about this and we, Troy and I, when we left, we thought, wow, those are some really good ideas. And we were actually talking about um, some specifications that you have for your heirs to to earn what they get instead of just saying, here, here's a whole bunch of money. Go do what you're going to do with your life. Um, And then you have a a laid out plan. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. So, again, you know, 
I think what people need to understand on a succession plan is to be very intentional. And so whatever it is that, you know, the matriarch or the patriarch or the person that, um, you know, created the wealth, a lot of times the uh, generation that's up and coming, so generation one and two, uh, they have no idea what the sweat equity was or what the sacrifices were. So it's important for you to create good stewards of the, of the assets or of the, of the, um, you know, the money or whatever it is that you created throughout your journey. And so again, on my uh, estate plan, I've specifically put in some intentional benchmarks that my children have to, uh, and my heirs, it's not just my, it's just not my children, but, uh, but they have to maintain. And so for one, um, they have to have a minimum standard of income. And so in my example, right now, they have to have $100,000 net worth aside from a marital estate. So if they go out and marry some rich spouse, that doesn't count. They have to have it on their own. And so they have to have $100,000, and that actually uh, compounds with a CPI index, so a consumer price index um, flow. So if, that, if that's 2%, it's basically going to compound at 2% a year. So it's not just like I set it the benchmark today and then I die 20 years from now or 40 years from now or whatever the date is, um, it, it's compounded. So it doesn't just give them, uh, so it's a scaling process. So those things are really what you want to do. Um, they also have to have, um, in my example and what I wrote, they have to have a compulsive uh, free behavior lifestyle. And so what that basically means is that I don't care if something's legal or illegal, alcohol, for example, um, you know, alcohol is legal. They have every right to choose that if, they, if that's what they want to do in their you know, life. Um, but if they do and they become alcoholics, they're basically uh, cut off. And so in my case, I actually have some specific uh, things like that. And they have, you know, I literally got down to where they have 24 months to become, you know, non-compulsive behavior uh, uh, typical. And, you know, the estate can pay for that. Uh, for a portion of that and things like that. So it's, it's, there's lots of things that you can write into an estate plan that people don't understand. And most people, in fact, I think there's a statistic and I'm not sure what it is, but it's, it's a high number. It's like above 60% don't even have a will. And so, you know, and a will um, is not a good estate plan. Uh, it, it is better than nothing, but it's not a good estate plan. So if you're going to accumulate any type of assets or wealth, you really, really need to, again, get intentional, sit down, and make sure that the heirs understand because that's how they become good stewards. The last thing somebody wants to do is pass away, and then there's this, you know, there's all this convoluted paperwork that nobody understands. Um, and so it can get costly with attorneys and so on and so forth if you don't have all that stuff kind of spelled out. What I see in this industry a lot of the time is any transaction is usually followed by a degree of stress but whenever you're dealing with an estate you have and you have multiple siblings what you think would be easy oftentimes is not because everybody's typically in a different area in their life some may need money worse than others um some may, may be more personally attached uh, so it's stressful anyway so making sure that you've discussed all of those things with your kids or outlining it you know, if there was like this playbook that says, okay, I pass, this is what I want, nobody's allowed to fight over it, this is how it's going to be dispersed, you know, that would be ideal. Obviously, not everybody has that kind of forethought or even, you know, things happen 
and you you could be driving home and and my kids are going to have a mess if I drive home today because theirs isn't completely done. We've been working on it, but it's not 100%. Um, so really taking the time to look at it. I know a local attorney here, we talked about it on one of the shows, and he mentioned that one of his clients just literally forgot about a farm, like forgot about it. And whenever they were dividing everything up, that farm was left in limbo, and it was one of the larger farms. It was, you know... As the attorney, you don't know everybody's assets, so sitting down and actually putting all that together is a great place to start. Yeah, and to your point right there, that's um, that's something that happens quite often, even in larger states that that think that they have everything done. Um, And what you have in that situation is called a pour-over will. And um, just think of it as a spillover, like a pour-over, right? So uh, anything you would have, you would have your estate plan already all done, um, and then you would have what they call a pour over will. And then, so anything that was forgotten or left out, or let's say that you acquired a property tomorrow. Well, obviously you didn't have time or maybe you just didn't do it at the same time where you instituted that property into your, uh, estate plan. So in, let's you know, again, you got hit by a train tomorrow, then you would, um, again, have a pour over will, which would put that into your estate. It would still have to be uh, probated most likely but at least it's not sitting out there as uh, an unidentified property. So your portable will will kind of lay, lay out the guidelines for all that stuff. But just to, just to your point, you know, think about, uh, you know, think about some of the, the big, the big names, you know, the Rockefellers, um, you know, the Carnegie's, the Kennedy's, those type of people. I mean, just think about that type of wealth. If they didn't have estate plans, what kind of, you know, run amok all that stuff would be. Right. And so, you know, the key is, is you can, uh, you can mimic and kind of, um, copycat, you know, some of these, uh, these, you know, big famous families that have passed on generational wealth for multiple, multiple generations. You know, the Rockefellers are into like, I forget what it is, but I, I met with one of the cousins and I think he was like the 32nd descendant of, you know, the, the original Rockefeller. So they, uh, they run their entire um, uh, what do they call it? It's like, like they run their entire estate basically, like a like a small government. Oh wow! So they have a yeah, they have a hierarchy, um, and then they actually meet on an annual basis, and they they vote on certain family because um, you know when you're getting out to you know that many descendants, right? Because as the as the generations grow, it not only does it grow you know downward linearly, but it grows horizontally right because there's cousins and there's wives and there's so many you know there's so many descendants at that point and you get to generation gen uh, you know gen one and gen two um and most you know we're getting into some high level stuff right now this conversation but you know once you get past gen two you probably want to re in my opinion you probably want to restart the clock if you will you want to kind of restart because you start getting into to a third generation and it's it's just too many to govern so you kind of need to reset the bar and then everybody kind of individually set up a Gen 1 and Gen 2 beyond that. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to build that kind of wealth. So be sure and join us here in just a few. 
It's the season for brand new mulch, and Brown's Tree Service has got your yard covered. Brown's Tree Service utilizes hardwood mulch that retains more moisture. Not only does mulch make your yard more appealing, it also reduces weeds, improves soil, and creates insulation for plants. Get the right mulch for your job at Brown's Tree Service. They shred it, haul it, and spread it in bulk. Or you can haul it yourself for the personal touch to your property. Call Brown's Tree Service at 785-379-9212 or visit online at brownstreeservicelc.com. At SportsMomsUnited.com, we celebrate every athlete and support every sports mom. SportsMomsUnited.com is on a mission to put logic back in youth sports. When you ask young athletes why they play sports, their number one answer is fun. For them, that means being on a team, making new friends, having a good time, all of which are awesome memories. We add to the memories by featuring an athlete of the day and sharing their story. Nominate an athlete today at www.SportsMomsUnited.com. When someone has a passion for what they do, it comes through in the product they provide their customers. Just ask LaRocco's Pizza's new owner, Jason Johnson, about their crust. They make it every day and let it rise for a minimum of 24 hours before they use it for their pizza. And his staff doesn't want to do anything they won't be the best at. And you can taste it in their pizza. LaRocco's Pizza, just a half block north of the I-470 Engage Boulevard exit. Come taste the difference. Thanks for joining us again. This is Carrie Brown, Associate Broker with EXP Realty and the Preferred Advisors team. And you're listening to Real Estate 101. And I am back with Rick Glade. Rick is a multiple-time author. He is a serial entrepreneur. Um, just a wealth of knowledge that I got the privilege of meeting in Puerto Vallarta at an EXP conference. And um, before the break, we were talking about succession planning. And I mentioned that we're going to talk about how to build wealth. So, Rick, how did you get started? Yeah, interestingly enough, I got started out um, as almost like a hobby. And so what I, what I did is um, I was visiting uh, Lake Havasu City uh, quite often recreationally. And um, at a very young age, I, I was doing that for my teenage years. I, I liked it well enough that I decided uh, they had a, a bunch of master planned lots out there, uh, residential uh, housing lots. And... I just started looking into the real estate. And that's kind of what what started it. But so on the on the the bio in the back of my book, at Advanced Agent, uh, the book for real estate agents, um, I bought my first property with uh, five hundred dollars down, and it was an owner carry finance, uh, and the payment was a hundred dollars a month, and it was on a lot that was uh, total cost was about thirty four hundred bucks, and that again was in nineteen eighty four. So that was my introduction, and I had actually had a couple mentors who would talk to me a little bit about private financing and owner financing and how when you don't go to the bank, you don't have all the restrictions and the cumbersome uh, processes that the banks have. And one thing that I can tell you is that banks lend money to people that prove they don't need it. And so let me say that again. Banks lend money to people that prove that they don't need it. And so you know, you can see what a struggle that would be for a lot of people, especially starting out. Some people don't have credit. Some people are too young. They don't have enough income, whatever that may be. But when you deal with um, owners and private mortgages, in that instance, typically the property is qualifying instead of you qualifying. So the property is qualifying for the financing. As long as you can afford to make the payments, you're not going to get into something that you couldn't afford. But as long as you can afford to make the payments, then uh, again, typically there's non-recourse in those loans. Um, so they fall in the same guidelines as typical bank financing. Um, you just don't have the credit restrictions that you have with banks. So that's kind of how I got into it. Then I got into options, 
um, and options on real estate, meaning um, secure an option to buy the real estate. Um, but I didn't have to buy the real estate. So that's the difference in an option. Um, and so you can usually leverage a piece of property uh, with an option. So you uh, usually give the uh, seller or what we call the option or um, you give them a certain amount of money for the right or the option to purchase the property within a given time period. And so you want that as a, from the investor side, you want that time period to be as long as possible, you know, three to five years or, or even longer if you can get that. Um, and what that does is you usually put in a strike price. So just like in the stock market on an option, you would put a strike price for the property or the stock, and then you would have the right to buy it within that certain time frame. So in an appreciating market, options work really well. So those are the ways that I kind of got started. And anybody can do that, meaning, uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, what your credit history is. Uh, I mean, it's important, but, you know, that's not necessarily the main thing that's going to make the decision of whether or not you're able to buy the property. I guess the other thing you should tell, you know, people is start small, right? People, this is uh, something that's happening in our society right now is, Everybody wants instant gratification, especially the younger generation, the, the millennials. They're so, they, and it's no, to no fault of their own, right? Um, they've grown up on the speed of the Internet. They've grown up on the speed of Netflix, where you can binge watch, you know, a TV show uh, back to back to back to back. And, you know, when I was born, when I was raised, uh, we had to wait an entire week for the next episode to come out. So, you know, you'd watch, you'd watch one and, you know, take another week before you get to see another one. So, um but to that point, uh, it's a get-rich slow game. It's not a get-rich-fast. It's kind of the tortoise and the hare, um, where, again, it's, it's a process. It's something that you're doing intentionally, and I keep using that word intentionally, but there's a reason for that. It's most people wake up and live a life by default. The idea is you want to wake up and live a life by design and not by default. So what would be your best tip for someone that is starting out and this is going to be their first purchase? Realistically, like I said, if it's an investment purchase, you need to make sure that the cash flows um, or you have the means to make a cash flow. So I bought properties where I had negative cash flow, meaning that the expenses were greater than the income. But when I had those situations, I was typically what I call siamesing that with another property that I maybe had acquired or had. And if you don't have properties already, you could sign these out with your W-2 income. The point is it becomes kind of a forced savings. And so if people wait and wait and wait and wait till you can afford it, sometimes you'll never do nothing. And so if you have something um, that will cash flow from the beginning or break even, it's, uh, that's where you really want to be. Because if you, what happens is people get into the negative cash flows and then it becomes a mindset. Um, I've had, you know, I've been through a few cycles in real estate, obviously, since I've been in it so long. Um, and we've had these downturns where people's uh, mortgages are higher than the actual value of the home. And they would call me and often say, uh, you know, what should I do? Uh, you know, I, I'm upside down in my house, meaning again, that the value is less than the mortgage. And I said, well, do you sleep there every night? And they would say, yes. And I said, do you like where you live? Yes. Do you like the neighbors? Yes. You like the schools? Yes. And who cares what it's worth? See, you're paying for the utility. I'm not saying that the value is not important. What I'm saying is 
It's a mindset. And so when we get, you know, people go to the barbershop and they get advice from real estate from the barber, and that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> the reality is you should get real estate advice from somebody who's doing it and has done it, and that's where you want to, you know, start. So from somebody just starting out, I would really, really suggest um, you start with your mindset first. Start with your in-game. Why are you even doing what you're doing? Why are you trying to buy an investment house? Why are you trying to you know, buy the house that you want to live in? Um, because as we go through life, things change. Um, you know, in our whole life perspective, like you said earlier, people's, you know, there's different dynamics to everybody's life when maybe when they're passing, but it's also true on the acquisition side. So it's really just important to start with the mindset first. And then, uh, like I said, you could, you could start out, if somebody's just starting out, you could start out with an option on real estate, which means, again, you have a little bit of money at risk. You have a huge upside potential. And if it goes the wrong way, all you really lost was that little bit of money you put up on the option. So you're not obligated to buy the property. So we are already out of time. Rick, how? tell me again real quick the books that people should be reading that you've written and also should mention that Rick is actually my co-host for the rest of the month. So we're going to have a lot of really great talks and get into building financial wealth in real estate and other aspects. But your books yeah. again? Yeah, The Seven Secrets of Highly Positive People. That's on Amazon. You can just look up the title, uh, Seven Secrets. Seven is the number. Uh, and also The Advanced Agent. Um, that is also on Amazon. And that is the book specifically for real estate agents, although it has some really good business uh, uh, theory and mentorship in there. Um, so anybody that's interested in that can take a look at that. And then anybody, um, I have a podcast called The Real Wealth Whisperer, and you can go to realwealthwhisperer.com, and you can get some uh, nuggets out of uh, the podcast there as well. All right. I look forward to talking to you next week, and thank you so much for being my co-host for the month. And thank you for listening to Real Estate 101. Thank you for listening to Real Estate 101 with the Carrie Brown team from Preferred Advisors. 